Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. A couple weeks ago when I launched this series on relationships, I talked about uh, that there are, there, is, there are four communication styles that can pretty much predict the end of a relationship. Not just in a marriage relationship, but sometimes even in friendships, even in our relationships with family members. There are communication styles that can be very destructive. And I talked about two of them a couple weeks ago. We're going to review those, and then I want to teach you about the other two today. The first first one that we talked about a couple weeks ago was the word stonewalling. Everybody say stonewalling. Stonewalling is this emotional and often physical withdrawal from a conflict in a relationship. How many of you hate conflict in your relationships? And uh, you don't want to raise your hand today, I know. But it is something that can be really difficult. What happens when someone is stonewalling is that they become physiologically flooded to the point where they feel like they have to escape from the conversation. They feel like they cannot stay any longer because they're just so flooded. Maybe you relate to this. But what happens when you flee a conflict like this and you're in a relationship with someone is that for the other person, it feels like you don't care. It feels like you're just leaving. It feels like you're not willing to deal with the conflict that is before us, right? And stonewalling can be very destructive for a relationship. But what we learned is that you can call time out in a conflict conversation, but you cannot avoid conflict forever in your relationships. And we learned that you can actually hold space for one another without judging what the other person is saying if they don't say it perfectly, right? The second thing we talked about was defensiveness. Everybody say defensiveness. Defensiveness is a negative defense mechanism in which we deny or deflect a complaint to what? To protect ourselves. We are wanting to protect ourselves from being perceived as insufficient or wrong. We might feel defensive uh, when we're trying to avoid conflict, right? And we criticize people and we blame and we do these things because we just don't want to deal with it. I don't know if you're somebody who, you know, when somebody brings feedback to you, maybe it's even a boss or maybe it's a family member, they give you feedback and the first thing you do is defend yourself. No, I'm right. You don't understand. And you have all these defenses, right, that you put out there when someone talks to you about something difficult. And so while these things, stonewalling, defensiveness, while these things can erode trust in a relationship over time, we also learned that when we put our trust in God, he will fight for our relationships. He will fight for our marriage. And we can recover. I love these words. We can recover and we can repair moments in our relationships that feel irreparable. And that's some really good news, right? And so I want to talk today about the other two communication styles that are really, if pervasive, can really be destructive to a relationship. The first one is criticism. Criticism is one of the first unhealthy communication styles that honestly we all struggle with. Whether we're in a relationship or we have a friend or whatever, we can just become very critical people 
right? And we create critical environments in our relationships. The second one I want to talk about today is contempt. Contempt, we're going to spend a little bit of time on criticism and a lot of time today on contempt. Contempt is the number one predictor of divorce based on this research. So I want to ask you this question today. Have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? You ever heard that phrase before? It is a proverb that was first written in the 1300s, and it means that the more time you spend with someone, the more you lose respect for that person. In Pastor Pradeepan's word, words, why is it that we treat the people we love the most the worst? Why do we treat them the worst? Because there's a familiarity that happens. When we begin to see each other's true colors, our strengths and our weaknesses, our really ugly times in life when our defenses are down, we become familiar with each other. And we don't often treat each other the best when that happens. I want to look at scripture today because when we talk about relationships, we have to start with Jesus. We have to start with Jesus. And there's a moment in scripture where Jesus, well, I'll just say this, pretty much all throughout the scripture, especially the New Testament, we see that Jesus is someone who is always being criticized, and he is someone who people have so much contempt for. And so I want to read a moment in scripture where this happens for Jesus in Mark chapter 6, says this, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse 6, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Did you know that there are only two times in scripture where Jesus is amazed or astonished at people? The first one is this one, where he's amazed because they had such little faith in who he was. It amazed Jesus. The next time we see Jesus was amazed was in Luke chapter 7 when the centurion had the faith, and this was really hard moment to have faith, to heal a sick man. And it said Jesus was amazed by his faith. Isn't that interesting? Only two times was Jesus amazed. So Jesus goes to his hometown. He's preaching in the synagogues. At first, they're like, who is this guy? And where did he get all of this wisdom? And then they look a little bit closer, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's Jesus. He's just a regular guy like the rest of us. His sisters and his brothers, they all grew up here. Who does he think he is? What is this guy doing trying to teach us? Is reading the scripture. And what did they do? They scoffed at him. They were offended by what he said. We see in this moment exactly what it means when familiarity breeds contempt. This is what was happening with the people in Jesus' hometown. Now, oftentimes in marriage, when we get used to one another, we've been back and forth, or we're in a relationship, we know each other so well, we can forget to see the best in each other, right? This happened to me. Uh, a couple of years ago, Pastor Pradeepan was waiting at the front door when I got home from the grocery store or something, and he said, Amrita, I can't wait to show you something. So he puts his hands over my eyes, and he takes me over to the bedroom to our closet 
closet. He stands me right in front of our closet. He opens my eyes and he says, look. And I was like, oh my gosh, my closet was immaculate. There were Sherpa jean jackets hung up everywhere. There was ironed jeans. Who irons their jeans? He had ironed all of his jeans. He hung them up. I could see the floor of my closet for the first time in months. It was astounding. I was amazed. And truly, I was really proud of him. But what came out of my mouth was not that. Instead, I said to him, well, babe, good job. Let's see if you can keep it this way. <laughs> I mean, I just took the wind right out of his sails. You know, he was like, is that all you have to say? I just worked for hours to clean up this closet. And you know, all I had was the familiar issues of the closet, right, that we share. And so I didn't have something nice to say to him. Instead, I said a little, like, a little bit of a sharp little, like, jabby compliment, right? And then I, uh, in my head, I didn't say this, thank goodness, because I had already done enough. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, he should be thinking me because I hounded him long enough to get the stuff up off the floor, right? And this is how we think about each other. Familiarity can sometimes work against us, right? We begin to treat the people that we love the worst. And it, it begins to work against us because when we start in a relationship, we have a high regard for this person. And then we begin to see who they really are over time. And they let their defenses down. And their vulnerabilities come out. And instead, we begin to what? We begin to start losing respect for that person. We might not even realize that we're doing it. Because criticism, it sounds like this. Maybe you can relate to some of these things. Criticism sounds like this. Exaggerated statements. You always do this. You never listen to me. Everyone feels this way about you right? We ask questions that are a little bit sharp. Why do you like your clothes on the floor? Why are you even like this, right? We ask these questions. Why can't you just figure it out? We look at each other and we say each other, these things to each other in start points. We say should statements. I mean, you should know this already. Do you ever say that to maybe your spouse when you're driving? You should know how to drive, or whatever. You should realize this isn't a, a bachelor pad. You're living with a woman now. Come on, keep your clothes off the floor. We say these things. Pastor Bredeepen, we have this We have this little tip in our marriage. Maybe you can relate to this, where sometimes um, we'll say to each other, like, you should totally, we should watch this show. I think you'll really love it because this is a great show. Everybody's watching. It's like the number one rated whatever, whatever. And I'll be like, no, nah, I'm not really into it. I don't really want to. I'm not really into the actor and whatever. I'm just not into it, right? And then somebody else will be like, you should watch this show. And I'm like, yeah, let's watch this show, you know? And pretty much like, I have been telling you about this show for anybody else have this. Like, we just, we have this situation in our marriage. <coughs> it often starts out harmless, but then these digs and these exaggerated statements over time, what does it create? It creates resentment within us, which eventually leads us to contempt. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that here in just a minute. But today I want to look deeply at this scripture because you know what's so great about scripture? We can learn from scripture in a couple of ways. We can learn from it what to do and we can learn what not to do. And I want us to make sure that in our relationships, we do not treat the person we love the way these people and the Pharisees treated Jesus. And that's what I want to learn today. So number one, what did they do? They criticized Jesus. 
Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, we see that the Pharisees who are familiar with Jesus are relentlessly criticizing Jesus. Have you noticed this? I mean, in just this moment, they say he's just a carpenter. Who does he think he is? In other moments, they look at him and they're like, Jesus, how dare you heal someone who's sick on the Sabbath? Just criticism, right? I mean, all the way to the cross, they criticize Jesus. He is a dying man on the cross. And what do they say? He saved everybody else. He can't even save himself. I mean, it was constant. These horrible things that just came out of them and spewed out of them because of their criticism and their contempt for Jesus. I want to give you a definition of criticism. Criticism is when one partner attacks the other partner's character not just an action or a behavior. And they were attacking Jesus' character, right? Who does he think he is? He's a nobody. He grew up like we did. But listen, I want you to catch this. The danger in criticism, when you begin to criticize your person over and over and over again, the danger of it is that you start believing what you're saying. You think it's just a harmless criticism. You think it's feedback. You think you're just complaining a little bit. But when you begin to do this and you begin to ruminate over the things that you're complaining and criticizing about, you start to believe it. You don't even realize it's happening, right? The function of criticism is what we need to think about. There is a function. There's a reason we do this. Criticism expresses our concerns without us having to be vulnerable. It's like a wish in disguise. We could say to our significant other, hey, I just, I wish you would do this for me, like in a vulnerable way. But instead, we're like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this for me? Or we do these different things back and forth with each other. Now, there is a difference between sharing a complaint and criticizing. We do have to share a complaint sometimes. That's not the problem here. It's when we criticize a person's character. And we don't even realize we're doing it. Oh, I'm just making a complaint. No, but you got to be careful what it is that you're saying. Now, let me give you an example. Here is a healthy, vulnerable complaint that shares a little bit more about where you're at. You know what, honey? I was so worried when you didn't come home the other night and you didn't call me. You were so late. It made me worry because I thought something bad happened to you. Do you see the vulnerability in that? I'm, I was worried about you. Hey, would you call me next time? Would you just, just, just pull out your phone? Just give me a quick call. I just want to know, or a quick text. Let me know that you're okay. That is a vulnerable way of a complaint or sharing something that we need the other person to do differently. Now, here's what criticism does. You should have called me. You never think about anybody else. You're so selfish. You're just a selfish person. And we begin to attack that person's character. You don't care about people. You're selfish. You're just all into your own world. We just begin to, it just begins to just dig into that person in a deep way. And then I'll add this one to the list. Something that we do that I think is kind of, uh, we don't like to think of it as something that is bad. But what we like to do is we like to be sarcastic with each other right? We think sarcasm is hilarious. But when you do this enough in a relationship in certain ways, it can actually dig at a person's character. Here's a way that, that you would be sarcastic in this situation. Well, it would have been nice if my husband would have thought to call me. I mean, how hard is it to pull out your phone and give me a quick call, right? Sometimes we think that that's really funny, 
But to the other person, after a while, it begins to truly erode that person's character and what it is that you think about them. And not only do you start believing what it is that you're saying, the other person starts to believe what it is that you're saying, right? And it can be very hurtful. Do you know that the word sarcasm, it means to cut it means to cut. The word, it, it might be funny to you, but what's happening is you're risking deeply cutting someone even when you don't realize it. I mean, how often do you cut the people that you care about? How often do you do that in the way of sarcasm? And you hide behind it. You say, that, it was just a joke. It was just funny. Why can't you just take it not so seriously? Well, because there was a little bit of truth in there that you threw in there, Right? So we have to be careful with that. We see this in the scripture. People criticized Jesus. They were sarcastic to Jesus. They were just plain out mean to Jesus. Sarcasm creates a culture and environment in your marriage that can lead to resentment and contempt. That's the thing with criticism you have to understand. Criticism leads somewhere. It leads to Attacking someone's character, which can lead to resentment, which can lead to contempt. Pastor Pradeepan and I, early on in our marriage, we realized that we brought into our marriage the environments that we grew up in. Now, he grew up in a household where they were super sarcastic and super cutting to each other, but they all did it to each other. It, like, didn't hurt their feelings, right? And so they would just, if you dish it, you have to take it. And there was just a common understanding about that. Well, he grew up in more of, like, that silly, funny environment. I grew up in a way more serious environment. So we get married. Married, he says something sarcastic or cutting to me, and I brew on it for three weeks, and I'm like, oh my God, did I hurt my feelings so bad? How do I tell him? You know, like, we just had completely different upbringings, and I was so sensitive. He's like, why are you so sensitive? And I'm like, why are you so mean? You know, like, what's wrong with your, what's wrong with your family? You know, you just start realizing that there's these things that happen, because when you're in a relationship with each other, you have to start preferring and regarding the other person right? It may not be the way that you grew up. You may have to change some of those habits, whether it was acceptable in your family or not. Can I get an amen? amen. So we share our concerns with each other. We work on the culture of criticism in our marriage. I think many of you, one of the first steps you need to do when you walk out of here is work on the culture of criticism in your marriage. Work on that. Work on the difference between a complaint and an attack on someone's character because it leads you somewhere. And where did the criticism lead for Jesus? Criticism of Jesus eventually led to their contempt for him. Number two, they had contempt toward Jesus. Verse three, they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. And listen to this. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Do you realize that what happened is they saw Jesus from his past, from the past, their sort of familiar past that they had together. This is how they saw Jesus. I mean, have you ever changed for the better and you go back home, you haven't been there in a while, you see a friend you haven't seen, and all they do is remind you of how you used to be, right? And they're just kind of critical about it. They could not see who Jesus really was. And you guys, he was their Messiah but they couldn't see it. They could not see it. And as we look at this, we see that they were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. Did you know that Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection? Can you imagine? Your own siblings don't believe in you. How are the rest of the townspeople going to believe in you? Can you imagine what that would have been like for him for 33 years? He's the Messiah. He's discipling all these disciples and his own brothers 
can't even see him until after he dies and he resurrects from the grave. Isn't that wild? I want to give you a definition of contempt because I think contempt is something that we don't realize even what it is. So I want to put some language to it today. Contempt is a feeling that someone or something is not worthy of any respect or approval. It's the act of despising. Act of despising. We actually see the Greek word for contempt, which is raka in Matthew 5, 22. Everybody say raka. Raka. But I tell you, Jesus is talking in Matthew 5, 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now listen to what raka means. Raka means vain, empty, or worthless. It's the word that the Jews used for contempt. The root word comes from the word to spit, worthless, or being a good for nothing. These are some harsh words. The feeling of contempt in this scripture is put in the same category as murder. Contempt is very dangerous. It's very dangerous in our relationships. It's fueled by this long simmering of negative thoughts about one's partner. Just constantly wishing your partner was someone else that they did other things, that they were like someone else. And what it does is you begin to attack the person's sense of self. Contempt goes beyond criticism. I want you to see this. While criticism attacks your partner's character, contempt assumes a position of moral superiority over them. You're tired? Well, cry me a river. I've been working all day, I come home, I make dinner, I clean, I get ready for small group, you just come home, you play video games, and I mean, you are just pathetic, right? You're pathetic. I don't need another child to take care of. It's just this way of just putting down the other, elevating yourself just a little bit, right? We do this. Contempt takes on many forms. I want to tell you this. I, I was studying this a little bit, and contempt actually leads to some major physical issues in your life. If you're somebody who has uh, issues with your immune system or constantly have colds and flus and issues in your body, it may not be something else. It might be that you're hoarding contempt inside of you, and it affects every part of your body. It affects all of it. Contempt, it takes on many forms, like hostile humor and sarcasm, jokes with half-truths, right? Maybe it's like, you know, someone says, well, what, what is it that you do for work? And your husband answers, well, she just spends all my money. She takes my credit card. You know, I just married her for her looks. Do you see that, how ugly that is? You know, we, it's mockery. It's name-calling. It's mimicking. It's offensive body language, like rolling your, ar your eyes, Rolling your arms, rolling your eyes, you know, like the emoji, like rolling eyes, you know. It's sneering, it's scoffing. I had an eye roll issue. We had to work on that in our relationship, if I'm honest. It shows how we speak to each other, and what it does is it slowly begins to destroy, destroy one another, and it puts the other person down. And uh, Dr. Gottman, he actually says it's lethal to a relationship. He said it's like sulfuric acid. It's poison that kills the, the psychological, emotional, and physical health of the other person. 
and of yourself. Most of us don't think that we're interacting with our spouse in this way. Now, most of us in this room are like, I'm not, I don't think that I'm better than my significant other. I'm not trying, I don't attack their sense of, this is not, this is irrelevant to me. This is not really something I do. We have a little bit of criticism going on, but I don't have contempt in my heart. Well, not so fast. There are some synonyms to the word contempt that I want to read to you because you may find yourself doing more of this and harboring more of this in your heart than you realize. Here's some synonyms. You create distance with the person. You disrespect them. There's mocking, neglect. You almost have an aversion toward this person at times. You disesteem them. You're stubborn. Those of us that are stubborn in the room, this is also something to be very aware of. We scorn. We blame. You're, the, you're never the person who does anything wrong. You're constantly blaming the other person. You're on the defense all the time, right? I remember Pastor Pradeepan and I, when we were getting to know each other, he was telling me a little bit about his family and his relationship with his mother and his dad and all this stuff before they got a divorce. And he was telling me how when he was a kid, his mom would do everything for him. I mean, she would clean his room. She would peel his grapes. She would cut his food. She would feed him. And he's telling me this and we're dating and I got a hard eye roll going on. Like, I don't think I'm your wife, you know. Like, I'm not doing that, you know. And uh, But he just he's just telling me about this really beautiful relationship that he had with his mom. His mom adored him. And unfortunately, years later, his mom and dad uh, split up and they got a divorce and it, it, it just destroyed him. It felt like he was abandoned by his mom and his dad and the divorce just crushed him, you know? And, and, and I knew this about his life. I knew this about the vulnerability and the things that he went through. So years later, when Pastor Pradeepan and I are married and we're in a few years of our marriage, we have a lot of familiarity and we go through some really intense time of conflict. You know, I'm going at him with criticism. I'm attacking his character. He stonewalls. He emotionally shuts down. He can't listen to that anymore. And when someone shuts down on me, what do I do? I go in the attack mode even more and I say some things that I'm going to be honest with you about, but I had to repent to Jesus and to my husband for, and I look at him and I say things like, well, there it is. You're just like your parents. Leaving when things get hard. That's contempt. If you've ever looked at your spouse and you said, you're just like your mom, you're just like your dad, just like your uncle. You have contempt in your heart. And we have, to, we have to be honest about it. It's ugly. We have to be honest about it. We've got to take care of the contempt that begins to be inside of us. Do you know why it's so wrong to throw your significant other's past in their face? Because number one, that you're throwing, you're, you're giving them something again that they were never supposed to carry in the first place. They were never supposed to have to deal with that and go through that as a child. Number two, the reason we don't throw our significant other's past in their face is because when you do that, it makes them feel like they can never change. This must be inherent in me. I must never be able to ever stop stonewalling because you're saying that I'm just like everyone else in my family and I'll never be able to change. This is why we have to take care of the contempt in our hearts towards someone else. And what was happening for me? Well, I was feeling unseen. I was feeling ignored. I was feeling unappreciated. I was feeling unacknowledged. These are real things that we're feeling. But when we have contempt in our heart and we attack that person's sense of self, that's not okay. That's not okay. This is what we see happen. What did Jesus said? A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family because contempt blinded them. In these heated moments, we become blind to the person of God that that person is in your life. 
And that's what happens. Uh, as we look at this even more, they, they treated Jesus in this horrible way. It says, what did it say? It said, Jesus was so amazed by their unbelief, he could not perform miracles except for healing a few people. And why was that? Well, it wasn't because Jesus became all of a sudden not all powerful. It's because the criticism and the contempt and the horrible hatred they had for Jesus, it impacted him. It matters how they treated Jesus. And it matters how we treat one another. It's difficult for your spouse to be the best version of themselves when you don't believe in them. You're the one they need for you to believe in. I want to end uh, this point with this quote by Charles Spurgeon. For us to hate those who are in error or talk of them with content or wish them ill or do them wrong is not according to the spirit of Christ. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan or correct error by violence nor overcome hate by hate. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. It's love, right? So how do we deal with contempt? I want to close by telling you how we deal with this. Do you remember how I talked about what the function of criticism is? We have to ask the same question about contempt. What is its function? Why is it that we have contempt in our hearts? The function of criticism, is, or of contempt, is that it's a defense strategy. It's how we protect ourselves from facing our own rottenness inside. The truth is that most of us cannot bear the things that we're the most ashamed of. We have some real ugly things on the inside of us, and we cannot bear it. So what do we do? We have to put down the person that we love so that we can feel better about ourselves. I mean, did your elementary school teacher say, don't, don't be mean to that person just so you can feel better about yourself? That's what we do. We're trying to protect ourselves because, listen, when we do this, it's what Jesus, Jesus came. And what happened when Jesus came? He came, and whenever he was around these people and around the Pharisees, what did it, it drew out their jealousy. It drew out their shame. It drew out the ugliness inside of their hearts. And the reality is, is Jesus' holiness embarrassed their pride. His generosity embarrassed their greediness. His kindness made them realize how petty they were. And what did they do? They projected their shame on to Jesus. They had contempt for him all the way to the cross. They, contempt, they had contempt in their hearts toward Jesus. John 3.19, I love this verse. Three verses out of the most famous, out of, after the most famous scripture in the Bible. Three, John 3.19 says, the light came to the earth, but the people hated it. Because they struggled with their own evil deeds. Their own evil deeds. And this is what we do. We have to start facing our own shame so we don't hold contempt for other people. You have to put the other, you can't put the other person down all the time. We have to start elevating our view of the other person. You know, some of you, you just need to stop ruminating over the negative things about your partner. And you need to start lifting up the positive things about who they are. Because even if you're hurt by them, and even if you're disappointed by them, there is still goodness in them. There is still goodness in them. And you need to be able to see it again. You need to be able to find it again. I mean, God was there. Had they seen who he was? Jesus the Messiah, the one who was born a virgin, the one who came to our town to save us. They couldn't even see him. And I, you know what I've learned in marriage is that God brought Pastor Pradeepan into my life. And I'm so glad it was so good for me because I have become more like Jesus because of him in my life. Jesus came to them. 
God brought my spouse to me. And sometimes we forget and we take advantage of them because they've hurt us so badly. But I want to tell you, God brought you together. He will fight for you. He loves the covenant of marriage. You got to make sure that as you deal with the contempt in your heart, go before the Lord and deal with it. Listen, you can't wait for the other person to become better before you deal with the contempt. It is not a requirement of your spouse to change before you deal with the contempt in your own heart. Don't wait for that, right? Have you ever heard the phrase contempt of court? Anybody heard that before? I'm just going to read this real quick because I'm out of time. When a judge says this, they're holding the standard of the court and judicial process to an honorable standard. The judge will, say, will only say this if a person doesn't honor and respect the institute and the process of justice. Now listen, we may not be living in contempt of court, but many of us are living in contempt of the marriage that we're in and the person that we love. God created this person. He created them with value and purpose and beauty. He died for them. So listen, when we fail to hold God's view of his children, when we look down on our spouse, when we look poorly of them, I think God is up there saying, I hold you in contempt of my son and my daughter because they are beautiful to me. I gave everything so that they might have everlasting life. You need to be able to see your spouse as the beautiful son and daughter that they are. Then if you can't do that, you gotta work on yourself. You got to work, you got to go back and realize, how do I begin to see again, not just the faults and failures of my spouse, but how do I see again who God made them to be? And when you do, just like I have, I've realized, oh, thank God, what a privilege it is to be with this man. What a privilege it is to be able to steward this relationship. You will stand before God someday and he will ask you, how did you steward your relationship? How did you steward it? Are you going to stand there and say, well, they were just really difficult, right? You're going to tell God that? He's going to say, listen, how did you steward it? I gave this person to you. They're precious to me. Did you treat them like it? I want to end with this story. Pastor Pradeepan and I, a few years ago, we, he shared last week and I want to just kind of continue on with this, but we went through a period of time where our marriage was really good and we had some really awesome years. And then um, we had a little boy with special needs and we were worried about our daughter having special needs. And I'll tell you this, I have a whole nother message on what happens, how to save a marriage and keep a marriage when crisis hits your family. Because as soon as crisis hit our family, our marriage tanked. And we were in this season in our life where things were really dark. I was the most sad about our marriage that I had, I had ever been. Man, I prayed that my marriage would not go through what we went through. And I'll never forget, we were in just such a bad place, we decided we had to get away. So we got some babysitters, and we drove up to Bellingham, and we stayed in Bellingham for a few days. And I tell you what, we call it now the trip that saved our marriage, but it wasn't because that trip saved our marriage. It's because what we needed is that two broken people needed to come together and not feel so alone. We went from looking outward and managing all the problems that we were dealing with at home, and we just, in a weekend, we just turned toward each other again. And we found the connection that's worth salvaging, that was worth keeping. And on this trip, we cried together. We repented to one another. We had some fun. We went on a hike. We fought with each other, mostly about the hike. 
But we just connected with each other again. And I was on my way to church. Man, I just, it brings me to tears. But I was on my way to church this morning and I was praying and I said, God, I don't know what we would have done without you. I don't know what we would have done because listen, God saved our marriage. He gave us the conviction to keep going, to humble ourselves, to look at one another and regard each other again. And today we are happily, happily married. And we are deeply knowing of one another. And when I think about my husband, I think about the man of God that he is and who God made him to be. And I, with all my might, I steward that the best that I can. So I want to pray for you this morning. For those of you that feel like you have contempt or just an environment of criticism in your home, the enemy would love nothing more than to use contempt and divide you. It makes sense that contempt is so dangerous. It put Jesus on a cross. Contempt is lethal. Contempt destroys. Contempt kills. And that's why we're being so serious about it in this series. So let me pray for you. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for every single person in the room. And Lord, there are some of us that are in relationships and we're dealing with criticism and contempt with each other, or we have contempt toward our parents or toward other people in our lives. And God, contempt is ruining us from the inside out. And Father, I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring your healing power into our hearts that we might expose the ugly contempt within us. And God, I believe that you want to see successful relationships and marriages. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. We're all human. We've all made mistakes. And so, Lord, would you give us the ability to humble ourselves, to be able to go before the person that we love and be able to say, you know what? Familiarity is not going to breed contempt in this house. In this house, I'm going to see you as the person God made you to be. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.